0: I finished, um, I finished watching, uh, Frasier.
1: And, uh, got to call the authorities to make sure that you don't kill yourself. welcome to the show. My name's Hunter. What's your name?
0: Welcome to what show?
1: Project Plus, Season 10.
0: You are, as you just said, Hunter. I have so far withheld my name, but it is Hugh.
1: That Hubie? How have you been? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Tired. Tired? How come? I haven't been sleeping well recently.
0: You haven't been sleeping well? No. Why?
1: I don't know. Hmm. You know, pretty exciting. How's work? Why, why do you sound so? Why do you sound so low energy, bro? How's
0: I? I just had a nap.
1: <laughs> uh, you should uh, perk up. Drink some coffee. I'm drinking tea. Why?
0: I've already had coffee today.
1: Why not just drink some more?
0: Uh, I, I prefer. St- Having coffee in the morning and then switching over to tea. That's my routine. Don't you have to be
1: high energy for the podcast? I mean, caffeine doesn't really give you energy. It kind of does.
0: No, it like inhibits whatever natural process um, causes you to kind of unwind a little bit.
1: I do have a story I'd like to share with uh, with you in the in the pod. I feel like you'll appreciate this. Ooh. Yeah. That's good, because I've got nothing today. So uh, I've been reading... I, get, I just finished today the book God Emperor of Dune, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but um, Frank Herbert actually died before he could complete the series. He died after writing the... Um, Sixth book, which is called Chapter House Dune. Okay?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, Chapter House Dune, though I haven't read it, famously ends on this cliffhanger, uh, which, you know, is never resolved. Um, uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, um, and Brian Herbert's, Frank Herbert's son, ended up publishing two books, uh, Hunters of Dune and Sandworms of Dune, that sort of concluded the story. They claim it's based on... Um, some notes that Frank Herbert left um, on like floppy disks that sort of outlined his vision for Dune 7, which is to be his last Dune book.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, you know, everyone who's like a Dune fan really hates these books because basically Brian and Herbert's like a hack and they kind of like take sort of the um, murky morality and... Um, We're all building and sort of anti-heroic narratives that Frank Herbert um, sort of explores, and sort of push them into a typical like sci-fi space opera adventure type thing.
0: Well, let us also not discount the influence of famous hack Kevin J. Anderson.
1: So <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, and they've written I think together I, I would say they've written a total of like 20, 20 dude books. Mm. I'm going to go. I can look up the exact number here. So, yeah, but both Brian Herbert and uh, Frank Herbert together, or sorry, Brian Herbert and uh, Kevin J. Anderson together have written a total of uh, 15. 15 Jesus. Dune books. Jesus. With two Christ. more to, to, be, to be coming out. That's insane. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's well beyond like, I just want to finish my father's work. That's yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. insane.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, it's like, it, it's, I don't know what it is with like famous fantasy and sci fi writers, children, but they always feel the need to like finish their writer, their father's like uh, work in the most hacky way possible. Like Tolkien's the obvious example, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was, uh, at, this was pretty weighted out. Let's say it was around two, two in the morning. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, um, wanted to see if uh, oh my god if uh anything about um Frank Herbert's original idea for Dune 7 had like leaked out at all so I was doing some googling okay and I stumbled across this uh random guy gu- Dutch he was like a civ- civic engineer okay and he has this like obsessive like journal, which includes just uh, absolutely tons of writing about about Dune, about the uh, potential Dune Seven, about all this other other stuff. Like reviewed some like Dune fanfic. That's that's sort of like level of obsessiveness, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like clicking around to this guy's site, and um, you know, I realized that the thing that it was most mostly done. That's like a very you know, old internet, like very basic like. Kind of like Geo City's page, you know. And uh, I realized that he had maintained a journal from 1996 to the present day. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was just reading his journal. I was just reading through his journal. Uh, you know, he has like photos of his like Chinese wife and their kids together, and you know, like little bios about them and everything. So I was just learning about this guy's life, uh, and then I realized that uh, his wife actually died last year. And you know, I just felt so depressed. <laughs> So I had this wave of, like, extreme like sadness come over me, and, uh, that's my story. What? So. That's a story. <laughs> that's kind of like a, uh, that's kind of like a you story, actually, I think. <laughs> A story that goes nowhere has no payoff.
0: What was with like the whole backstory about Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson's uh, expanded Gene novels or whatever? I gotta gotta talk about that.
1: (laughs) Am I I not gonna talk about that?
0: (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the superfluous detail.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what makes it another. That that's it. That's it ties it closer to. To uh your your genre, to my you know? style of uh, anecdote telling, it. yeah. So uh, I don't know why the fuck you're complaining, bro. It's true. That's true. It's not a complaint. Just an observation. <laughs> kind of sounded like you're complaining. <laughs> well, it was also kind of a bummer ending as well. Kind of a sad ending. It, uh, yeah, it's just it's just weird. You know, you never know what the things you're gonna are gonna make you really sad are. You know what I mean?
0: Mm. Uh, well, here's another detail that might make you sad. Um, Among Mm. the uh, expanded universe novels that uh, Kevin J. Anderson authored Mm -hmm. about the Star Wars universe Mm. is a little novel from 1996 called Darksaber. (laughs) Um, Even though I don't think the Darksaber in the novel is the same as the Darksaber in um, the Clone Wars and Mandalorian and whatever, maybe he's the one who came up with
1: that stupid name. Um... Yeah, I don't know what the writing process was like for for those. Let's see, Dark Saber, Kevin J. Anderson. Let's just do a little bit of research here, real quick. Let's see, you got uh, Han Solo, uh, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker on the cover. Because
0: it says it says this is according to Wikipedia. This is a, a part of the synopsis of the novel Dark Saber. Well, Back bro, you gotta go on Wikipedia. You can't. You can't rely
1: on Wikipedia.
0: LemaLisk starts construction on the cylindrical uh, superlaser, which he calls the Dark saber, for its shape is similar to the hilt of a lightsaber. So it's not actually like a, a sword.
1: I've got an even more detailed synopsis on uh, on w- Wikipedia, <laughs> which is that it's a it's a reconstruction of the original Darth uh, De- Death Star, called the Dark saber. Yeah. So. There you go.
0: Which kind of makes it e- makes the subsequent dark saber even
1: worse because it's like, what if it was just a lightsaber but dark? What if it was even dumber? <laughs> uh, here's a great quote about Kevin J. Anderson uh, from J- Kevin J. Anderson about this book, Yoni. Mm-hmm. In the Cold War, the United States and the Soviet Union built these nuclear weapons. What happened after that was that they started to get loose, and any old gangster thug could get their hands on nuclear plants. That's the point of Darksaber. Once you have these weapons, they start to pour for it and get out. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to hear of any, like, rant of gangsters with Niki War weapons. Like, you will see the Italian mob feed, like, All right, Andrew Cuomo, you know, we're gonna blow up your capital with the nuke.
2: But boss, do we even know how to use this nuke?
1: Anyway, uh, should we get off the show? What are we doing today, anyway? Um, that new Dune film, right? Huh?
0: Villainous Dune, isn't that what we're doing, or not?
1: No, that's not coming out
0: yet. You, you moron! Did I watch? Dummy. So what are we doing on this episode of Prejudey Plus? I believe this is uh chapter two of series ten. That's right. So it better be something exciting. It's not just gonna be a bog standard episode.
1: Well, what we're gonna do is we're revisiting
0: one of our greatest failures. You mean the previous ninety nine episodes? Huh?
1: The previous 70 episodes? I don't know, like what is it, ninety two? I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> you you committed yourself to this joke. Now you have to finish it. So we're going to
0: revisit one of our greatest values. I, I believe you have to be more specific, Hunter, because uh, there are
1: many candidates. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> make sure you keep the whole uh, revision process of the episode. I will. Showing our work. It's it's Dadaist podcasting. Um, well, Hugh, uh, when we first attempted to make this show, oh, how many years ago was it? Three? Almost four? <laughs> I'm assuming it was 2018, right? Yes. It was either 2018 or the end of
0: 2017. I remember talking about it at the end of 2017. I'm not sure if we if we actually had recorded the first film. Well, uh, let's, let's just say three years. Let's right. just say three years.
1: Three years ago to this day. Yeah, to this day. <laughs> Whatever day you're listening to it, that is. Uh, we, we attempted to record an episode about two films. Duncan Jones's sci-fi epic Mute and... Uh, Black Panther. And uh the results were deemed unworthy to air.
0: Which is if you've heard the first episode that we actually
1: aired is is quite an achievement. <laughs> so imagine something even worse than that. Mm. So uh, what we decided to do is because we're winding down or reformatting Project A Plus, we're we're celebrating it before it's demise. We would uh you know, go back, try to revisit some of our triumphs, our failures. And uh, this is this is uh, us re- revisiting and redeeming our failure. We're
0: basically going to put into practice everything that we've learned uh, over the previous um, 97 episodes.
1: Yep, for a trenchant and uh, highly compelling discussion of these two films. Mm. One of which I think uh, literally everything that's possible to say about it has been said. Also, you might think. All right, uh, what should, should we start with? Uh, I think we should honour
0: the uh, format of the original podcast and start with Black Panther.
2: <laughs> the more diverse the group of people around the table, the better the
0: movie. gets <laughs>
1: Call me back. Um, do we need to introduce Black Panther? Yeah, let's <laughs> no, introduce it at length. Do we need to? <laughs> <laughs> I think so.
0: I People think have forgotten so.
1: about it by now.
0: It's no longer a buzzy film. No one's
1: forgotten about fucking... No one's. Well, let's so, let's let's tell the story of Black Panther. Okay, go go ahead then. <laughs> All right. So, you want to tell the story? So so get on with it. Okay. So <laughs> you, um, you, t- you tough you piece of shit.
0: So there's this. Uh, <laughs> there's this um, there's this place in Africa called Wakanda. And uh, to the world at large, it appears to be a third world country. But uh, hidden within a forest or something, there's a uh, futuristic society um, that uh, is centered around a mountain that produces uh, this amazing thing called... What is it? Unbearable.
1: Vibranium. What is it? Unobtainium. Vibranium. 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 Unobtainium is from Avatar. Okay. <laughs> Vibranium. Come on, dude.
0: Vibranium. And it's this amazing metal. Vibranium. Uh, it's the strongest metal Vibranium. in the world, and it also makes computers. Bro,
1: that's what stuff. Captain America's. That's what Captain America's shield is. Yeah, about. it makes, but it also makes computers and shit. So it's this futuristic society. I, 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 I don't really get the... Uh, I, don't, I don't get how to improve technology like that, necessarily. Me either, but we'll we'll go with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a dumb comic book movie, so you've got to suspend your disbelief by a little bit. So so Wakanda is this futuristic society that is
0: basically hiding itself from the world um, as a means of self-protection, because it believes yeah. that if, if their secret got out, um, their way of life would be threatened. Hmm. And, you know, the material could be used for warfare as well and stuff like that.
1: So. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, uh, dying to not intervene in any of the myriad, uh, horrible, um, cruel, awful things that have been perpetuated against the African people, against people in general around the world. Um, and, <laughs> sort of the crux of this film. They're like slavery. That's fine. Holocaust. That's fine. <laughs> Jim Crow, that's fine. (laughs) Um, Iraq War, that's fine. (laughs) Well, now they I guess they probably now they would say that. (laughs) Anyway, um, so Wakanda is ruled by who exactly? Um, The guy whose son
0: is T'Challa. T'Chaka. Okay. T'Chaka sounds good. I think that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, at the start of the film, it's King T'Chaka. King T'Chaka, King T'Chaka. King um, but then he explodes. So his
1: son becomes king. He gets he gets he gets he gets iced in Captain America: Civil War. Yeah. Okay. And we should say that the the um, governmental structure of uh, Wakanda is a just seems an unconstitutional monarchy. It seems like an absolute monarchy. <laughs> I guess he I guess he needs consent of the tribes, but. Not not really. Well, you can challenge the
0: the king for the throne, so it's not just a hereditary system.
1: I guess when he gets crowned, anyone, any any you know, D- Dick or Jane can go challenge him. But post uh, kingship, after he's ascended to the throne, only members who have uh uh you know that uh delicious blood of aristocracy uh, are allowed to allowed to fight. Okay,
0: so they're isolationist. They mm. have not stepped in to prevent numerous atrocities, and
1: it's uh, <laughs> it's a monarchy. So far, so good. Um, so we should mention that uh, the thing that sort of kicks off the plot of this movie is that uh, pre in years previous to the uh, you know ever present present day that the film takes place in, uh, Tichaka confronted his brother, who is uh, what was he doing in California again well, well they've got spies all over the world so so
0: was he doing was he being a spy yeah oh. ostensibly he was just supposed to be okay a, a
1: wakanda spy he and um young Forrest whitaker were spies in oakland california why why were they spying there i guess they're just hanging out but uh in reality um <laughs> um brother is attempting to you know do some bank robberies. he uh Helped uh, Andy Serkis rip off some vibranium from Wakanda. Yeah, it's no good. Uh, and he ends up getting killed. That's the, the long and short of it.
0: hmm
1: So uh, what, what, what sort of uh, sets the plot of this film into motion? You? Um,
0: what's his name? Which one? Um what's his character's name?
2: <laughs> which the, Michael which, B. Jordan's which character, which character, I guess.
1: Uh Eric uh Kilmonker. Oh uh, Killmonger, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Just the like super villain name. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please continue. <laughs>
0: So, he was the son of the guy that T'Chaka killed in Oakland. Yeah. And they made the costly decision
1: to just leave the son, right? Yeah. Kind of kind of strange. <laughs> yeah, kind of strange, yeah. You, know, you want to at least, like, you know, maybe, like, set up a trust fund for him or something like that. Or, or murder him. Or murder him. Either way. Or just bring it back with you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Very nice. He grows up to be
0: Michael B. Jordan, the kid. Hmm. Um. You know, first comes to prominence in the wire. Uh, where he
1: pisses his pants and gets murdered. <laughs> then uh, he establishes a relationship with uh, Ryan Coogler in Fruitvale Station. Yep. And then, uh, then he went on to star in uh, Black Panther. Mhm. So what's he doing? <laughs> what's <laughs> his character doing? Come on, dude! Why are you need so uh, low energy? <laughs> Being chill, not low energy. Chill. <laughs> I would describe you as very low energy. You can't even remember what this movie is about. There's no rush. Ugh, we got all the time in the world. Did you, did you even watch it before? Before the like overdose of Xanax that he took in? <laughs> took, like, um, so Michael B. Jordan, what's he work. doing?
0: He's like uh, he's working with. What are you talking Claw. about, dude?
1: Wow, you're so
0: incompetent. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan's working with Claw. Yeah. Andy yeah. Circus. <laughs> Uh And, um, you know, they're, like, getting
1: some vibranium and and shit (laughs) So they're introduced robbing a fake British museum A fake British museum? Yeah, it's like a real museum It's not a real museum (laughs) At least I don't think it is (laughs) The British museum Oh, was not the
0: British museum? Oh, you mean it was, like, an invented museum,
1: right? Yeah Dude, holy god!
0: Understand movie magic?
1: Are you okay?
0: So Michael B. Jordan and Claw, Andy Circus, are uh, stealing shit around the world. Uh huh. Um, one of the shit they steal is <laughs> some vibranium from a fictitious mm. British museum,
1: according to you. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It's not the British Museum, it's fake. Okay. Take your, take your word. <laughs> You've been to the
0: British Museum, it doesn't look anything like that. <laughs> I have been to the British Museum, and I saw the vibranium
2: <laughs> <laughs> exhibition.
0: <laughs> you can't tell me I didn't see it. <laughs> um, uh, so Michael B. Jordan stealing some vibranium from a, a British museum with the help of Claw, Andy Serkis.
1: Who mm. is South African. He was South African. An- another injustice the Wakandans did not to interfere with. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even have to travel off the continent for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is why I mean, not to not to uh, go on a tangent already, but the the introduction of real history to. Uh, these movies is always very strange to me for this reason. Mm. It's like why the first Wonder Woman's like, wait a minute, she was in World War One. Why didn't she stop the Holocaust? <laughs> like, like, what's she doing?
0: <laughs> yeah, unless you're going to properly engage with it like Watchmen style, then it kind
1: of uh, yeah.
0: opens up a big can of worms.
1: The, yeah, yeah. And, and even that's like, you know, it creates a whole new alternate history. Yes. I mean, at least the, at least some of the other Marvel movies kind of make sense because it's like oh you know it's like Catherine Erica was trying to stop the Holocaust. <laughs> mm. um, but anyway, what uh, so so what happens? So they uh, steal all the stuff from the British Museum and then qual uh, uh, is going to sell some vibranium in a place in Seoul and uh, Black Panther's like nah nah bitch and then uh, basically walks him up. Um, and through a convoluted series of events, Kilmogger becomes the King of Wakanda. Is that, <laughs> is that acceptable? Yep. And Black Panther has to reclaim his throne from this uh, tyrant. Um, and that's basically all there is to it. Yep. So uh, this has been a, a, this is kind of the theme of our last uh Episode though our original uh, thoughts on the matter are not uh, documented in any any way besides our own uh, memory, but uh, did what did you think of Black Panther this second time around? Did you uh, did did you enjoy it uh, as much as the first time, or not enjoy it, or something like that? Yeah, we're clearly so much better at this one than we were at the start. <laughs> I mean, it really sounds like you've given up, bro. We're we're such a slick operation now. (laughs) If
0: only us at uh, episode one could have seen ourselves now at episode 92. I'm fucking trying.
1: You're fucking burying me. (laughs) We would be so jealous.
0: Although I'm not jealous because we'd become that, that person, right? What? We would be astonished. Yeah, not jealous. Astonished. We'd be like, wow, I never thought I could speak well i didn't know podcast could be that good (laughs) i'm excited to one day become that person who is able to do that on a podcast um anyway what did you ask me if i liked it
1: how can you be so dumb
0: is that what you asked me did i like black panther
1: did you did you enjoy this revisiting of black panther
0: okay so the first time around uh, i had a pretty good experience with black panther Mm -hmm. i saw it in the cinema which i think helps with some of these type of films that is definitely true um I, I wasn't uh, that keen to revisit it. Mm, and yet you did. But I, I thought we would honor our first attempt at recording uh, a podcast, mm-hmm. um, at least in the style of this podcast that you're listening to. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought we would, it's best if we watched my Panther again. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so did I like it this time? So yes, I had some hesitation um, about mm. watching this again. It wasn't something I was uh, ever keen to revisit, to be completely mm. honest. Because you're a racist, um, and, and that's 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 true of pretty much all MCU films. But nonetheless, revisit it I did, dutifully for the mm-hmm. good of the pod. Mm-hmm. And uh, my conclusion is that, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um. I still I still like it, I guess. Um, but I don't think these films hold up that well to multiple viewings and the cracks start to show and yeah, I think... They, they definitely work better
1: in the theatre, I think.
0: Yeah, the, the biggest issue with this is a lot of the, the action and the special effects feel rather substandard, um, even shoddy in places, mm. and the conclusion in particular feels rushed. Uh, and we know it was rushed, in fact, so that makes sense the the general shape of the narrative i still like and there's there's a lot to enjoy about Mm. at least the first two-thirds of the film Mm. um i i do like the fact that we get to see a different style of story from the mcu than pretty much every other entry just by virtue of the fact that it's uh set around a fictional country and the superhero is the king of that yeah. country
1: and almost has like a space so. opera feel to some
0: degree yeah yeah so there is there is there is definitely a different feel there so at least we get we get something slightly different um a lot of the performances are really good i always liked Chad, chadwick boseman in particular as black panther
1: yeah the cat the cast is probably the best part of this film it's like pretty much pretty much all the actors in it are all like really great, you know, and just with the it, exception like, of Martin pretty. Freeman. Yeah, I will yeah. Say. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say too. <laughs> like, why did they cast him? Why did uh, whoever, whichever Marvel movie cast Martin Freeman, decide to cast him as like a CIA agent? I just don't get it. Like he's not, he, he just exudes like you know Britishness, you know.
0: And I don't. I don't get it. I still really like the. The arc
1: of, um, you know, T'Challa. Oh, well, did you hear something really funny? Yeah. Before Okay, so I clicked on the Wikipedia uh, page for the character that uh, Martin Freeman plays, right? And according to Christopher Priest, uh, who created um, uh, uh, Everett Ross for his uh, uh, Black Panther, which is actually a pretty good comic run, despite the fact that the art is, like, really bad, <laughs> the, variety, the variety is pretty solid. Ross's personality was based on that of Chandler Bing, a character <laughs> from the television show Friends. I can't say that was particularly detectable in this uh, cinematic um, retelling, but they should have cast Matthew Barry.
2: So no one told you life was going to be this way. Your surname's Rossi boss. it's from the CIA. It's like you're always stuck in Tanzania. When you'd rather violate some human rights and military gear But I'll be there for you I'm a superhero king I'll be there for you And you're my chamber I'll be there for you Cause you're there for me too So I'm flying out the day after tomorrow. You're going back to that tinpot village? It's not a tinpot village. It's Wakanda, the most technologically advanced city on the planet. Technologically advanced, huh? Well, it can't compare to good old New York City, a place where you can just snap your fingers and someone brings you a double chuck frappuccino with extra foam. Gunter, get it yourself. <laughs> Rachel? Gunter, coming right up. They're not better than us. Isn't that right, Joey? Yeah, that's right. Hey, has anyone seen my pants? So, are you looking forward to seeing Wakanda again?
0: Well, I was until I found out who I'd be on the plane with.
2: Ooh. Hello! (laughs) Janice works for the CIA? She's our senior interrogator. Two minutes alone in a room with her,
0: and you'd be begging to be waterboarded.
2: Oh, stop. He's such a charmer. Aren't you excited for our trip? What do you think, Janice? Could I be any more excited? That's what I thought. I'll see you on the flight, honey. You know, working for the CIA, you'd think it'd be
0: easier to get your hands on some cyanide capsules.
2: Oh, I'm sure you'll have a good time. I'm just jealous you get to see all oh, that great wildlife, the majestic lion, the cheetah. We were on a break! <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I think I pretty much agree with you. I, I think all the design is really well done, and that's probably the most compelling part of this besides like the performances and the acting. Yeah, I agree. And uh <laughs> I, I do think I do think uh, I, I did end up rating this a little bit while we're on Letterboxd. I think the primary reason is because um I really couldn't enjoy a lot of the scenes with the swooping score because I just kept on expecting it to to like uh, turn into Mandalorian music. <laughs> I, I really have to say that that really diminished my enjoyment of a lot of sequences in this movie, which is not necessarily a, a problem that I can uh, put on the film itself, you know. Um, but uh, nonetheless. <laughs> The Mandalorian is another atrocity that Wakanda refused to prevent, so. <laughs> Maybe the worst one of them all. Mm. Uh, all right, anyway, so uh what else what else would you like to talk about?
2: Yeah, let's talk about Mute. The boat made him mute. Ocean, oh, it's a he needs surgery this week. Well, that boy ain't gonna speak. But his folks took a vow. Treatment now is too late.
1: Movie we watched this week uh, is Duncan Jones's 2018 sci fi epic, Mute. <laughs> now, Mute takes place in a future Berlin um, where uh, it's not especially uh, articulated in the film, but there appears to have been some sort of Amish repatriation act. So there's a lot of Amish people in Germany now. Um, Berlin has been totally tech. Technolized. There's flying cars, there's screens everywhere, there's drones that deliver your meals, there's uh, perfunctory Orientalism, and most importantly, there is uh, our good bud uh, Leo, who is a bartender uh, at a... Um, kind of sleazy strip club. I guess it's not really a strip club. It's just like a, a cyber bar, you know. Um, and Leo is, da-da-da, mute. A boating accident when he was a kid uh, rendered him mute. And because he is one of those uh, repatriated Amish, he has not gotten the extremely easy surgery to repair his vocal cords. And uh, another important thing about Wio, uh, despite the fact that he is mute, is that he is dating a woman named Nadira, uh, who, <laughs> I mean, she's an e-girl. I feel like that's the, an apt description of her. She's got blue hair. Um, <laughs> not a lot of personality, but yeah, blue hair. And Wio is obsessed with her. They're in love. He's making them. He's making them a bed. And Nadira has a He's se- whittling them a bit. <laughs> well, it's uh, Nadira has a secret that he she wants to convey to Leo. But uh, instead of conveying that to her, they make love, and then she promptly disappears. Which sort of prompts Leo's odyssey across the sin and vice of um, 20XX Berlin, uh, an attempt to locate her. Um, there's sort of another narrative going on here. Uh, so we get Paul Rudd as Cactus Bill and Justin Thoreau as Duck, who are two U.S. Army uh, or uh, ex-U.S. Army soldier surgeons, doctors, who have, um, again, for reasons that aren't, aren't especially explained to the audience, are uh, trapped in, in Berlin. And they, um, well, uh, I guess they kind of have different motives or motivations here. Um, Cactus Bill has a daughter who he desperately wants to return home to the States with them. And to do so, he needs to get new IDs for both himself and her through the man, uh, his name is Maxim, who runs the bar that Leo works at. Um,. And Duck is... Uh, well, I guess uh, an important thing about Duck is that he's a pedophile. <laughs> <And> <laughs> also, he seems perfectly content in setting up a medical service in Berlin. Uh, nonetheless, they sort of hang out. They uh, do some stuff. They do some jobs for the, the gang boss who runs the, uh, the bar. Um, <clears throat> and uh, will their paths cross with Leo as he attempts to find Nadira, the love of his life? Will some secrets be revealed? Well, what do you think, you?
0: I think yes.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess the other question is for you. Um, now, uh, if you go back and listen to our uh, our end of year uh, special for twenty eighteen, what now? Did we not do one that year?
0: No, do you want me to go back and listen to it now? Or, yeah, what sh- shut
1: the fuck up. Uh, it's a, it's a rhetorical question. Okay, you go back and listen to it. Uh, you you'll realize that in both of our bottom lists for that year, you'll uh, recognize the presence of a certain film called Mutant. <laughs> is that is that accurate?
0: That's accurate. It wasn't the very bottom of either of our lists, no. but it was on the bottom ten. So it was
1: it was it was a bottom film of that year for both of us.
0: So I think the first thing to say is that our opinion on Mute sort of started to shift um, the more we watched subsequent original efforts from Netflix. (laughs) Have
1: you did it?
0: (laughs) Well, in that um, a number of them were just dull. Mm. And uh, although some of them may have been better films than Mute in some senses, few were quite as memorable. hmm so I think after like, referencing it so often on the podcast um, and without having watched it a second time at that particular point, uh, I did develop more of a fondness for the film. <laughs>
1: um,
0: you know, as a peculiar, completely misguided object mm. with some uh, absolutely uh, ridiculous moments mm. that we both enjoyed to varying degrees. Mm. So when I approached a second viewing of this film, I, I, did, I did wonder to myself, maybe I could just enjoy this experience, right? <laughs> I know what to expect of it now. Um, I know not to get my hopes up for, a, you know, a nice investigative future noir, which this very much isn't, even if it pretends to be briefly. Mm. And I, I, I know how the, the film turns out, so maybe I can just enjoy the ride, right? Mm. And I will say that maybe for the first 40 minutes or so, I was kind of enjoying the ride. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the last hour or so was was kind of difficult to get through, even if it contains some of those uh, enjoyable moments that I guess we'll speak to. Um,
1: what did you think? <laughs> you know what? Um, when I first watched this movie, I remember feeling anger. I remember absolutely hating this film, you know? Hmm. And uh, I didn't. I, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it necessarily, but when I watch this movie now, I just, I just don't have the hate anymore. I have just, uh, I don't know. It was, it was fine. It was okay. <laughs> it's like a C minus
0: movie. You know what I mean? That's kind of a good way of putting it because I also remember being angry at it. And, and experiencing like an intense aversion to it uh during my initial viewing of the film that, that fueled the conversation that we had on that ill fated podcast but yeah that's that's completely dissipated now and uh i was uh I was more inclined to try and see the good in it as well, not that there is
1: really any but <laughs> no but but I think we've become we've become peace we've become we've become Buddhist basically yeah we've we've transcended the petty hatreds of our of our former selves. It's such a bizarre
0: film. It is. Just the fact that it sets up this standard um, missing person investigation in like a Blade Runner style future which is like even if it's generic and we've seen it before there's a there's an inherent momentum that you can get from that that plot mechanism which is still fairly watchable, right? But the parallel narrative device, wherein we constantly shift focus to <laughs> cactus and duck <laughs> a Very peculiar choice <laughs> Completely sort of like saps that investigation of any momentum whatsoever And it also like um, foreshadows the fact that these narratives are going to connect up somehow So it's not like a surprise when suddenly they do So it just feels like we're like treading water with these like endless scenes, especially around the middle of the film when like like um, Mute basically disappears from the narrative for like 20 or 30 minutes while we're just wandering around with cactus and
1: duck. I will say, uh, not, not to keep on this straight, but this is another film that struck me as very profoundly conservative when I was watching it. Well, there's definitely a streak of
0: homophobia that runs through
1: it. Yeah. And just like anti queer uh, sentiment. Like, you know, the, the heterosexual love which powers Mute and uh, Nadira's attraction, um, you know, is, 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 is portrayed as this like, you know, pure object, right? And the fact that Mute is like this repatriated Amishman who has these very traditional values as opposed to the decadent society around uh-huh. him, you know. It's like, okay, buddy.
0: <laughs> and also the way that uh, Cactus and Duck are coded as being in this kind of homoerotic relationship yeah. while at the same time positing that, that Duck is a, a pedophile and also that Cactus is a homophobe in that he says
1: a lot of gay slurs throughout the film. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and he's a murderer too. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, very odd. <laughs> Uh, but I will say, I definitely enjoyed the interplay between Paul Rudd and uh, and Justin Thoreau more than I enjoyed watching, like, sad boy Alexander Skarsgård, who's an actor I've never particularly understood twice in movies, to be honest. Um, just, like, hanging out, like, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, Skarsgård is given an incredibly difficult yeah. uh, job to yeah, do yeah. in this film. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like, how could, how could you play this character?
0: The problem is, and this is this is Duncan Jones's fault, is that he comes across as like a doofus. Yeah, it's it's like the boy got his brain in addition
1: to his, uh, to his.
0: Yeah, not to be glib about mental illness, but it did it did feel like he had a, a mental condition as opposed to <laughs> yeah. just a physiological issue with his throat that
1: rendered him speechless. He <laughs> should like, just go full right wig, honestly. <laughs> It's a, there's a perfect word to describe how he acts, but unfortunately, the scalds of the PC police. Have- Nothing's as sweet as the ocean. Nothing's
0: as blue as the sea. Oh. Um, I think at the end of the day, it would have been better if it was directed by Roland Bolan. <laughs> <laughs> Um I, 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 don't, I
1: don't see the evidence of that. Just based on genetics alone. What genetics? It's Boland genetics. What did Bolin display any aptitude for cinema?
0: He's in one of the greatest films ever made Born to Boogie, directed by Ringo Starr. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh
1: huh. But Bowie is an, uh, just a Jiggler, so. That is true. We, we really should have revisited that. That is true. I think that's the end of our youth uh, discussion, correct? Yeah. All right. Now let's move on to bonus features. Bonus features,
0: bonus, bonus features, bonus, features, bonus, bonus features. Um, so the first film I watched was another film from Netflix, To All the Boys, Always and Forever. The concluding, I think, installment of the To All The Boys franchise based on the novels of the same name. The
1: greatest franchise of all time.
0: I wonder if there's more than three books, actually, because then there would definitely be more than three films. But anyway. I think there's only three books. Okay. So I've already talked about my response to the previous two installments on this very podcast. Um, The first of Mm. which I liked, the second of which I didn't so much. Mm. And I'm pleased to say that while the third film does not compare favorably with the original it does compare favorably to the second installment in the, is much better than it <laughs> and um mm. it concludes the trilogy on a, on a decent enough note it's pretty enjoyable i watched uh, the film juliet naked and the reason why it's called juliet naked is because of the album let it be naked just to be clear what is that you know what juliet naked is from no, I don't know juliet naked uh, is what is
1: let it be naked
0: Uh, Let It Be Naked is a version of the record Let It Be that McCartney uh, spearheaded Mm. in the early 2000s, I think, that basically stripped away all the extra production flourishes that Phil Spector added to the original record because he was never happy with it. And uh, in this film, we have a couple, Chris O'Dowd and uh, Rose Byrne, And um, the character trait of Chris O'Dowd is that he's obsessed with this uh, artist Mm. who's played by Ethan Hawke, who made like a record that he loves in the 90s and then kind of vanished. And uh, Chris O'Dowd's like really active in the fan community and like maintains a website dedicated to everything to do with that artist, whatever. I forgot the artist's name, but who cares? He's
1: like that guy I talked about who had all this obsessive blog post about uh, Dune.
0: Yes, exactly. And then Rose Byrne dies. (laughs) It's very sad. No. Um, Now, it's not a great film. um, Based on the Nick Hornsby novel, I believe. And I will say it's like, it's one of those things where it seems like Rose Byrne is kind of miscast. Or at least Mm. she's like miscast in the way that... uh, you know most actors in Hollywood are miscast in the sense that they're they're too attractive for the part or at least too like conventionally attractive for the part that is written to be more of a
1: mm-hmm.
0: written to be a less glamorous kind of person in like a middling relationship with a Chris O'Dowd type, someone who would credibly be in a relationship with Chris O'Dowd if he was like the type of idiot that he's portrayed to be in this in this mm-hmm. film. So she's, uh, But to her credit, I think Rose Byrne's performance is quite good in this. Her accent work is excellent, as far as I can tell, not being a, a UK Do native. Do you think this
1: uh, exceeds her work in um, uh, episode two, Attack of the Clones?
0: Well, nothing will exceed that.
1: Mm, that's, that's very true.
0: And I actually thought Ethan Hawke, who's an actor I'm not a particular fan of, uh, was, was very good in his role as well. So it's, it's fortunate that they are the, the central couple in the end because they both deliver good performances. Chris O'Dowd is just Chris O'Dowd, as he usually is. Mm. Um, so your mileage may vary there. But it's not a bad film. Kind of better than I expected it to be. It's like mute level, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's they're, they're the two main films I watched. Uh, what did you watch?
1: Well, yeah, I'm so glad that you asked me that question. I watched a couple of films. Uh, well, actually, i no, I watched more than a couple of films. I'm not going to go into uh, too much detail, because I don't really feel like it. But uh, I watched, uh, I continued watching uh, Orson Welles films. I watched The Lady from Shanghai, uh, which I think is a really uh, fantastic film. You're you're probably not going to hear me say a bad word about Orson Welles on this podcast, you know. But, um, you know, I think unlike The Magnificent Ambersons and uh, The Stranger, which you can feel the, uh, like, butchery of the studio pretty evidently, you know, especially The Magnificent Ambersons. I mean, this one, you could obviously also feel like, you know, the razor uh, scissors of uh, Harry Cohn's editors, um, you know, butchering the film. But I think it I don't know if it works to the film's favor, but I think the butchery is felt less in it because it makes the film almost more delirious in that the narrative doesn't make any sense. And like seeds will start. It's just like strangely paced and like, I don't know. So I think it kind of... uh, I don't know if it enhances the mood necessarily, but it definitely...